Good morning, Christ Church. How are you all doing today? If you are visiting with us for the first time this morning, we have been in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this morning, we're going to be kind of jumping into a new section in this book. And the section that we're looking at deals with uh, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're going to be kind of plugging away through these chapters over the next seven weeks or so. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there are actually Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can reach down, grab one of those out, and um, open up to the table of contents if you don't know where to find it, and it'll tell you what page it's on, 1 Corinthians, and we're in the 12th chapter. All right. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you. We praise you for the ways in which you have already met with us this morning. Thank you, O oh God, for the way in which you have invited us to come and to speak our prayers to you and to confess our sin and brokenness to you, the way you hear and you respond to our prayers, the way you extend mercy and grace to us. Thank you, God, for the way in which you're at work in our youth ministry, for the work that was done in the lives of many of the students, including my own daughters who experienced camp over the last several weeks. Thank you for Justin and for Kellen and for Janelle and for the many people who are investing their time and their efforts and their energy uh, to see our students come to know you better. And I pray, God, that you would continue to bless those ministries and raise up leaders who can join with them in that work. And we ask, God, that as we open up our Bible and as we come once again to the Lord's Supper this morning, that you would come and that you would meet us here. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So about 25 years ago, I had an experience that when I think back, it still kind of trips me out. So uh, I, was, I was maybe 19, 20 years old, and I was working at a surf shop in Huntington Beach. And I was a brand new Christian, and so I was very excited about my faith, and I was frequently kind of engaging with my coworkers to tell them about Jesus. And I had a, a particular uh, coworker of mine that was working with me one day, and, and he thought Christians were just kind of crazy and weird. And so I was always trying you know, say, no, we're not that strange, you know, after all. And one day I'm working, and I was there with my coworker, and a group of Christians walk into the surf shop, and they're all carrying Bibles. And I said, hey, how you guys doing? I said, oh, are you guys on your way to the Bible study or to a Bible study? And they said, no, we're actually in the midst of a Bible study. I said, no, you're in a surf shop. And, and, and they said, no, we're in a Bible study. We're having a prayer walk and we're identifying strongholds of the enemy and we're praying them down. And so they were walking through the surf shop and uh, they would see like this, uh, you know, a clothing company called MCD, uh, stand for More Core Division. They'd say, More Core Division. More church division, write it down, write it down. And then uh, they would walk over to the sunglass case and, and uh, you know, the sunglasses were called black fly sunglasses and they would say, black flies, black flies, Satan is the Lord of the flies, write it down, write it down. So they would write it down and my friends looking at me like, what's wrong with these people and are they crazy, you know? And uh, anyway, before they left, they introduced themselves and I told them my name was Josh and they left the surf shop and I kind of breathed a sigh of relief that they were finally gone. About 30 minutes later, they walked back into the surf shop and they said, hey, Josh, we were walking down the street and the Holy Spirit told us to come back here and to pray for you. Can we pray for you? I said, well, I'm at work. I'm in a surf shop. You know, you, you, well, can, can we, the Holy Spirit told us we need to pray for you. Can we pray for you? 
I'm like, all right, well, the, you know, it, toward the back of the shop is where all the surfboards were. I said, we can go back there. So we go back there. There's probably about a half dozen, uh, eight, you know, six, eight, eight of them. And they gather in a circle around me. They say, can we lay hands on you? And I said, all right. And they said, can we anoint your head with oil? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, let's go for it, you know. So they anoint my head with oil and they start praying for me. And as they're praying, they're praying. A couple guys start praying in tongues really loud. And I'm, I'm like a new Christian and I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, these people are crazy. My friend's going to think they're crazy. I think they're crazy. And then um, after the prayer, one of them said, you know, when we were praying, I had a vision. And in my vision, I saw you in a chariot with a flaming sword. And I thought, maybe you're not crazy. That is awesome. And... <laughs> They left the surf shop. You know, I look back on that incident kind of with uh, mixed emotions. On the one hand, I, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic, and I am pretty, you know, um, skeptical about that sort of thing, stuff that goes on in the name of the Holy Spirit that looks kind of weird and strange to me. I just think that that's the work of human imagination. That wasn't God at work there. And yet there have been other moments where I've thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe God was perhaps in that. Maybe God was at work in those people in kind of a different way than my own tradition has taught me. But I think these kind of experiences that I've had, some of the experiences that many of you have had, if you've been around the church for a while, maybe you've had some negative experiences uh, with people who you might put in the category of strange Christians. Anybody here know any strange Christians? Anybody here a strange Christian? Yes. <laughs> And there are some people I know when you open up the topic of the Holy Spirit, they get all excited. They're like, finally, you know, we need, to, we need to get awakened to the Spirit of God in this church. And then some of you are a little bit freaked out by it. You know, you're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want to, you know, that gets a little bit weird. And people get a little bit weird when they start talking about spiritual gifts and prophecy and tongues and what's all this stuff about. And, but probably the majority of us in this room just are kind of curious about what should we expect God to do in this world today? You know, you read the New Testament, if you pay attention to what's happening within global Christianity, you recognize that God is at work in radical ways in this world still today. God is still at work in the global south, healing the sick at times, raising the dead and cleansing lepers and giving sight to the blind. You hear stories of what's happening in India and Africa and throughout Asia, and God is doing radical stuff, stuff that looks a whole lot like, a whole lot like the stuff we see in the New Testament. But we wonder, what about here and what about now? You know, I've only been at this church for about 18 months, but I would say this isn't a real, you know, crazy, charismatic group. <laughs> unless I'm missing something, unless like I'm totally not very socially aware, you know. But what should we expect? Should we expect more? Should we expect something different? What does it mean to be a community of people that truly are alive and awakened to God and to His Spirit at work among us? Could it be that maybe one of our problems is that we just don't believe enough in God and what He wants to do? Could it be that we're not open enough to what God might want to do? I come to this passage and, you know, it, this whole section in Corinthians with a whole lot of questions in my mind and in many ways with a hunger to see God work in our midst by His Spirit. But what does that even mean? 
And if he were at work among us, what would it look like? And isn't he already at work among us? And can we name places where God is at work? And how should we understand this? And if you're brand new to Christianity and you start reading through this passage that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, you might think, man, this is getting real weird. You know, I was just kind of, you know, Jesus is interesting to me. The idea of God, I can get that. You know, the idea of, you know, spirituality, yes. But the stuff that, that, that's mentioned in the text that we're looking at, tongues and prophecy and all of that, like, what do we make of that? How do I understand that stuff? And so beginning this week and in the weeks ahead, we are going to be diving into what it looks like to see the Spirit at work in a community of people. And my hope is that for, as a congregation, that we would be inspired by these passages, that we would become a people that more and more are hungry to see God at work in very real and palpable ways among us. Now, we're going to begin this morning with the foundational, it's really the most basic question. It is the question from which the rest of this series kind of hangs, and it is the simple question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What are we talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit? And this morning, what I want to do is simply unpack for you one sentence in response to that question, and here it is. Who is the Holy Spirit? Here it is. The Holy Spirit is the personal, transforming presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the personal, transforming presence of God. Now, let's kind of pull that definition apart a little bit. Number one, what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is the personal transforming presence of God. Let's talk a little bit about this word personal, because it identifies for us that the Holy Spirit is a person. And this flies in the face of how a whole lot of us talk and think about the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee is a New Testament scholar, well, well-known scholar who's written a lot about the Holy Spirit, and he has this big, massive theological treatise on the Spirit. And he, in this book, relates the story of a student that made this statement to uh, one of his colleagues. God the Father makes perfectly good sense to me, and God the Son I can quite understand, but the Holy Spirit is, quote, a gray oblong blur. A gray oblong blur. And I think for a lot of Christians, that is how we conceptualize the Holy Spirit. There was a a survey that was put out uh, by Christianity Today a a while back, and Christianity Today published the results of this survey under the heading, Evangelicals and Their Favorite Heresies. And they talk about how we misunderstand Jesus and God and how a lot of us are de facto heretics, you know, and how we actually think and talk about Jesus and God. But then they write this. They say, but if evangelicals sometimes misunderstand doctrines about Jesus, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has it much worse. More than half, 51% said that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. 51, the majority of Christians who were asked this question believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being, which means that a whole lot of us in this room think about the Holy Spirit the way Obi-Wan Kenobi spoke about the force. And do you remember what Obi-Wan said to Luke? The force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us, and it binds the galaxy together. Thank you, Obi-Wan. 
You know that by heart, don't you? Yes. But a lot, of the, a lot of us think about the Holy Spirit like that, like he's just uh, some force, he's what, he's what gives Christians their power, it's kind of the energy source of a Christian, and there are some uh, Christians that are strong in the force, you know, and you, you engage with them, and it seems like they know how to pray, they know how to talk to God, they've got this kind of sixth sense about them, they're always hearing the voice of God, and then of course there are those real Jedi Christians that they've really mastered the thing, and they're out healing the sick, and you know, giving sight to the blind, and they're always telling stories of the miraculous. But listen, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit, according to the Scripture, is a person. And I want you to see this in our text. Notice what he says in chapter 12, down in verse 11. He says this, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who, listen to what it says, who apportions, that word's apportions, we're going to look at this a little bit more next week, but it could simply be like a pie that's cut up, you know, mom apportions a piece of pie to each person, and it says that the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually gifts, that's what he was talking about before, as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit wills and desires and he apportions and he divvies things out. That is not the language you use to describe a force of energy. That's the language that's used to describe a person. And that kind of personal language is replete throughout uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Earlier in the letter, he says that the Spirit searches all things. It's not a force or a gray oblong blur that searches, it's a person. He says earlier, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit teaches. Later in Galatians, he says, the Spirit cries out from within our hearts. Romans 8 says, the Spirit prays for us. Romans 8 further says, the Spirit works all things together for our good. Galatians 5 says that the Spirit desires and the Spirit leads us, and the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Ephesians says that the Spirit is grieved by our sin, and Hebrews says that the Spirit can be outraged. And these are not verbs that are used to describe a blob or a force. They are, this is language that's used to describe a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. But let's go on to our definition again. Um, so the Holy Spirit is not only personal, what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is God. Now look back in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Look what he says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I like that, you know. This is an area where a whole lot of us are uninformed and we're ignorant. And Paul says, I am writing to you all because I don't want you to be ignorant about all things spiritual. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one's speaking in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of who? The Spirit of God says that Jesus is accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Notice, he identifies the Spirit as the Spirit of God. In verse 6, he says this, he says, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So it is God who empowers them all and everyone. And then verse 11, he says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. 
who apportions them individually to everyone as he wills. In other words, the work that he ascribes to God in verse 6, he ascribes that precise same work to the Spirit in verse 11, because for Paul, the Spirit is God. And you see this throughout the Bible. Again and again and again in the Bible, the work of God is attributed to the Holy Spirit. And so, for example, it is God who calls all of creation into being. And yet in Genesis 1, what we see is that it is the Spirit who is at work hovering over the dark, chaotic waters, bringing life from the chaos. The Spirit is work bringing creation from the undifferentiated mass of darkness. Later, it says in the New Testament that it was God who raised Jesus from the dead, but then it also says that it was the Spirit of Jesus who raised Jesus, or it was the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So do you see, when the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit, what the Bible is speaking about is God himself. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit is not partially God. He is not one-third God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. You see, what the Bible teaches is that the one true God is a unity of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is one God who is one in essence and equal in power and might, and yet the one God is distinct in person. And so we don't believe that there are three gods. There's not the Jesus God and the Father God and the Holy Spirit God, nor do we believe that there is one God who sort of, you know, at times puts on the Father hat and at times puts on the Son hat and at times puts on the Holy Spirit hat. Rather, what Christianity has, has professed since its inception and in the scriptures is that the one true God is manifest to us in three distinct persons who are co-equal and co-existent and co-eternal. So you got all that, right? We got the Holy we got the Trinity down. But it's interesting, you see the Trinity alluded to in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 12. Look at what he says. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit speaking of the Holy Spirit, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's his special word he used earlier, Jesus is Lord. But it is the same, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And so he speaks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so there is distinction within the one unity that is God. Now, I know for, for years, I mean, this has been confusing to me. It's been confusing to many of us. And many of us treat the Trinity as if it is a math problem to solve. And I think that's our problem. The Trinity is not a math problem to solve. It is a wonder and a mystery to stand in awe of. And what the doctrine of the Trinity says is that at the heart of ultimate reality is relational love. The one true God has existed from all eternity past in a community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sometimes put things like this. We say, you know, when somebody is at the end of their life, and it almost becomes cliche, when you're on your deathbed and you're at the very end of your life, you know, will you ever look back on your life and you say, well, I wish I would have spent more time at the office? No. What do people say? I wish I spent more time with people I loved. 
Because relationships are what life is about. And the reason why relationships are what life is about for us is because at the heart of ultimate reality is a relationship. When the Bible says God is love, it is not blowing smoke. It is saying that God in his very essence, the one true God is a unity of three persons who are in a relationship of love. And so the Holy Spirit is personal and the Holy Spirit is God. But let's just press a little bit further. What I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is the personal transforming presence of God among us. The Holy Spirit is the personal transforming presence of God among us. One of my favorite conversion stories uh, that I've ever read about is the conversion story of a man named John Wimber. He was the founder of the Vendor Movement, and he described his conversion, you know, he was, he was this rock star, you know, kind of musician. Uh, he had signed at one point with the Righteous Brothers, and um, he says that he was gripped by God in 1973 when he was, quote, beer, when he was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician. And he says, I was converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking my way through a Quaker-led Bible study. And he soon became this just voracious Bible reader. And after weeks of reading about the life-changing miracles in the Bible and attending boring church services, one day at one of their Bible studies, John asked a lay leader, he said, so, um, so when do we get to do the stuff? And the Bible leader was like confused. He's like, well, what stuff? He's like, you know, the stuff Jesus did, you know, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. When do we get to do the stuff? And the Bible leader looked at him confused and he says, we don't do that stuff anymore. To which John responded, you mean I gave up drugs for this? <laughs> now, on one level, I can sympathize and many of us can sympathize with John Wimber because you read about this, the stuff that's happening in the Bible and there's sometimes a disconnect between the stuff in the Bible and the stuff we experience. And we need to explore that disconnect. We will in the weeks ahead. But there is something a little bit off about somebody who simply desires to do the stuff. Listen, it is important for us when we get into this whole arena of the work of the Spirit that we understand what kind of work the Spirit is out to do because then that will clarify for us what it means to actually get involved in His work. It's not simply about getting to do miraculous or kind of fanciful stuff. It is about something a whole lot more profound and deep and beautiful than that, the Spirit's work, listen, is about transforming broken people. And listen how he puts it in chapter 12, verse uh, 2 to 3. He, he, he kind of lays this out right in the beginning. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And then he says this. This is kind of strange. I think it's kind of strange. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And you kind of wonder, like, was somebody thinking that? Did, that, did you really need to point that out, Paul, that if somebody's uh, speaking in the Spirit of God, they're not going to say, Jesus is accursed? That's my demonic voice. <laughs> and then he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What is Paul talking about here, and why does he begin here? I think underneath this text and what Paul writes here is his own personal experience. 
You see, there was a time when Paul was a fundamentalist religious bigot who was out to do violence against anyone who didn't believe what he believed. In fact, he was so aggressive that he got letters uh, from the authorities to go out and be able to arrest Christians and under the threat of imprisonment and death, get them to blaspheme and denounce Jesus. At one point in Paul's life, his mantra was, Jesus is accursed. But then something crazy happened to him. One day he's on the road to Damascus. He's got these letters. He's out to persecute Christians. He is this violent, you know, power-hungry, fundamentalist religious guy. And he gets knocked on his butt off a horse. And God meets him. And he has this radical transformation. And this fundamentalist, violent religious man becomes the apostle of love. And if you were to ask Paul, what happened? He would say, the Holy Spirit happened. The personal presence of God invaded my experience and he changed everything. And so he says, no one speaking in the spirit ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord. And he's not simply talking about mouthing a sentence. He's talking about giving your allegiance to Jesus as your Lord and seeking to trust him and follow him with the totality of your life. And he says, nobody comes to that point apart from a dramatic work of the spirit of God. And so do you know what, do you know what the spirit of God is doing in the world? He is transforming individuals. He's transforming broken people. And Paul actually alludes to the, to the Corinthians. He says, you remember you used to be pagans and you were led astray to mute idols. And he says, but you were transformed. God did a work in your life and changed you. And so the work of the Spirit is to transform broken people and to see them experience healing and wholeness through the Lordship of Jesus in their life. But it goes deeper. The Holy Spirit isn't simply about a momentary, momentary one-time conversion. That's not the only transformative work that the Spirit is about in the world. The Spirit is also about transforming our character after we meet Jesus. In other words, those who commit to the Lordship of Jesus commit themselves. In fact, did you know what you signed on for? You commit yourself to a life of character formation where more and more your life is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. This isn't always an easy process, is it? Because a lot of us have rough edges in our life. I mean, I'm looking at Jim Alden. That guy's like rough all over. And then John Stuthers up here and, you know. And look, the, the Spirit of God is at work. Trans, his, his presence is at work in our life seeking to convict us and to lead us to repentance and to increase our faith and to increase our love, and to increase our hope. The Spirit is out to change our character. And so the Spirit is a transforming presence in our life, but He's not just transforming individuals from a life without God to a life with Jesus, not only transforming individuals from a life of brokenness to an ongoing character formation so that our lives look like Jesus, the Spirit is also out transforming us as a community. In fact, look at how he puts it down in verse 13. He says, for in one spirit, that could be translated for by one spirit, we all were baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. 
He talks about racial differences and socioeconomic differences, and he says that the Spirit is at work to take people who are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, think about in our own culture, the divisions regarding race and economics, and the Spirit is at work to take those differences and to bring different people together in one new family. And so every time the Spirit convicts you to go and to reconcile or maybe to take a humble posture towards somebody in the body of Christ that you don't really care for that much or maybe you look down on, he is at work to form us into a people. Do you see the Spirit of God is at work to transform us? In fact, he, he, he kind of talks about this transforming work and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit and he says, he says, the manifestation is given to everyone for, he says, the common good. In other words, what the Spirit is, is looking to do among us is to bring good, to bring unity and love and hope. Does anybody here need unity and love and hope in their lives? We need the Spirit's work among us. But let's just qualify the work of the Spirit in one more way and then we'll close. The Holy Spirit is the personal transforming presence of God at work in and through and among us. The Holy Spirit is the personal, transforming presence of God at work in and through and among us. Now, we're going to build this out next week, kind of develop this whole idea, but the simple thing is this. The Spirit at, who is at work in this congregation is at work through the people around you. And so if you want to look and you want to discover where God is at work, Look at the person next to you. Now, just look at the person next to you and just say, the Spirit wants to use you. Go ahead, just. Listen, the Spirit doesn't simply want to be about your own individual experience. He's not there simply to produce Holy Ghost goosebumps where you just feel all tingly and good inside because the Spirit is moving, you know, and it makes you feel good because the Spirit's at work in you and you get these visions and you get these ideas and the Spirit tells you who you're going to marry and all sorts of things and this sort of thing. No, no, what the Spirit of God is doing is He is at work among us and He is at work through the people around you. He works through you to bless and strengthen other people. I want to close with just an example of this, and then next week, in, in the coming weeks, we'll kind of build out what this looks like. But I was looking over some old notes that I had on a, a sermon that I had preached uh, a while back on the Holy Spirit, and I found this story that Bob had sent me, or Robert, up here. And... It came out of an experience that he had where the Spirit of God used people around him to really speak into his life when he was going through a very dark and just a very difficult time in his life. So I had the background of the stories that I had talked to him on the, the phone, or maybe I'd sent him a text and I just said, I didn't know why, I just felt like God had told me to, uh, I just kind of, you know, I... I don't ever like to use the word God told me or I'm very wary to say God put this on my heart because how are you going to disagree if God told me to tell you something, right? 
So usually I kind of qualify it by saying, you know, I kind of think that maybe God wanted me to send you this. And so I sent him a passage to meditate on in response to kind of the difficulty he was going through from Colossians 3, you know, where it talks about our life is hid with Christ in God. And Robert received the message, he looked it up, and he said, I did, I looked at the text, and I didn't get anything out of it. But the next day I was driving, and the Holy Spirit just shouted out in my head, your life is hidden in Christ. I was crying and thinking about everything I could lose, and I gave it all to the Lord, and a tremendous peace filled me. It reoriented me. My feet were set on a rock. When I got home, I opened my email, and there was an email from my friend James Eglinton telling me that he was just led to pray Colossians 3.3 over my life and that I would realize that my life was hidden in Christ and that no matter what happened, my true hidden life was untouchable. A few weeks later, I was going to a conference and was going to spend some time alone. I'd asked a a friend, my friend Ryan B., to pray for me. He said, that night I received a text from Ryan. Bob, he says, I've been praying for you and for some reason the Lord keeps putting on my heart to pray Colossians 3.3 that you would know your life is hidden in Christ and that this would be your core identity. Then a few weeks later, I got a message from my friend Ben Myers, and he had just had a layover in LAX, and I was going to pick him up, and he tells me he's writing a book on the great poet George Herbert, and there was a poem he was reading on the plane, and he wanted to share it with me. It was a poem based on Colossians 3.3, my life is hid with Christ and God. These are four different people who were not in conversation with each other in different parts in some respects in the world, and yet all were prompted by the Spirit to speak a word that brought edification and comfort and that built up a brother in Christ. Friends, as we engage in this series in the weeks ahead, what I want to invite you to do is number one, be open to the possibility that there is more going on around you than simply the people that are sitting around you that are, some are nice, some are not so nice. You kind of like to be with this person, that person, when I'm hurt, this. But actually, God is at work among us. The personal, transforming presence of God is at work among us to strengthen and encourage us as a body. And then I want you to be open to the possibility that God wants to use you in that process. Be open to the Spirit of God impressing your heart on things and and speaking to you and moving in your life and wanting to use you to serve children and work with children. You should do that. We just saw an announcement about that, didn't we? But seriously, you have to get engaged in the work of the church in order for the Spirit of God to use you in the life of other people. Doesn't that make sense? Until you're actually in relationship with other people over an extended period of time, getting to know them, committing to them, committing to a team that's serving within the body of Christ, it's going to be rare that you're going to find those moments where God uses you in fresh new ways to bless and to benefit and to serve the body, to bring us together in unity, to help people grow deeper in their character of Christ and actually to see some people come to know Jesus and confess Him as Lord. So are you ready for that in the weeks ahead? All right, me too. We're going to end our service this morning by sharing together once again in the Lord's Supper. We're going to do it a little bit differently today. I was thinking about this passage and where it says that uh, 
Paul says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, both Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. And I was thinking about how this text gives this beautiful picture once again of what we've been talking about, of the many people coming together in one body through Jesus Christ. And I thought it would be, you know, kind of a beautiful picture of our oneness in Christ for us to all receive the bread and the cup and to hold on to it and then all come up and we will all partake together, all at the same time, as an expression of our unity in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask that as we now share together in this practice that you have given to us through your son Jesus, we pray that your spirit, your transforming personal presence would come among us now. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit, even as we share in the bread and the cup and reaffirm our unity in the gospel, we pray. Reaffirm our identity as those who have been redeemed by your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.